Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of the Muscle for Life podcast. I am Mike Matthews. And this time around, I interview my buddy and fellow podcaster, Adam Schaefer, who is the co-host of the popular podcast, Mind Pump, which I guess they're expanding beyond just a podcast. So it's really a, becoming like a media company. They have a, also a very popular YouTube channel over at Mind Pump. But anyway, unlike most of my interviews, this is not a tightly focused discussion on one thing so much as a fireside chat about a few things on our minds and in particular on the current trend of business mastermind groups that have been popping up left and right over the last few years like mushrooms and roadkill and in case you're not familiar the pitch for these groups usually goes like this so you have someone who appears to be successful Uh, according to their instagram they are successful they drive expensive cars and have expensive things and the pitch is pay me or us if it's a group a thousand to ten thousand dollars or more per month and yes some of these masterminds are that expensive i've been pitched on ones that are that expensive and we're going to give you the inside baseball on how to achieve some highly coveted goal or status like becoming an internet millionaire or a superstar influencer and not only that but you are also going to get exclusive access to our vip inner circle of beautiful people who will deign to shake your hand and pretend to give a shit about you a few times per year at our annual retreats that you're going to be invited to attend on your own dime of course you'll have to pay your way but just think of how impressed your 500 followers on instagram are going to be when they see you fist bumping with people as rich and amazing as me and my friends and also how jealous they're going to be when you tell them about all of the seven-figure business opportunities being tossed around, you know, opportunities for you to give and risk everything for a chance at absolutely nothing. So here's the bottom line. If you are ready to progress on your personal path of manifesting higher vibrations for a better tomorrow, blah, 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 infinite income loop opportunities. So will that be cash or credit? All right. All right. So I've kind of tipped my and Adam's hand regarding what we think about most of the masterminds out there. But in this interview, you are going to learn why and also what we think you should do instead of wasting your time with these masterminds before we go there however we do a bit of meandering on esports and gambling as adam is interested in and i'm more or less ignorant of both of those things for example i was surprised to learn that in 2018 esports had more viewers in the united states than every traditional sport except the nfl and major esport events are held in huge stadiums and attract over a hundred thousand people to come and watch other people sit and play video games. Anyway, I hope you find this discussion interesting. This is where I would normally plug a sponsor to pay the bills, but I'm not big on promoting stuff that I don't personally use and believe in. So instead, I'm just going to quickly tell you about something of mine. Specifically, my 100% natural Legion 
protein bar. Now, unlike many protein bars, mine are not chalky, crumbly, hard to get down lumps made with low quality and undesirable forms of protein like milk protein, calcium caseinate, and soy protein, and chalk full of artificial sweeteners, flavors, dyes, and other chemical junk. Instead, my protein bars contain 20 grams of high-quality protein from a blend of whey isolate, whey hydrolysate, whey concentrate, and pea protein isolate, are naturally sweetened and flavored, and do not sit on shelves for months on end, and so every bite is savory, moist, and pleasantly chewable. My goal was to create an all-natural protein bar that tastes like high-protein candy, and many of my customers say that I have done just that. So if you want a clean, all-natural, low-calorie, and low-sugar protein bar that has 20 grams of five-star protein that tastes as good as it looks and that is easy on your stomach, then you want to head over to www.legionathletics.com and try my protein bars today. And just to show how much I appreciate all of my podcast peoples, use the coupon code podcast at checkout and you will save 10% on your entire order. I also have a very simple 100% money back guarantee that works like this. You either love my stuff or you get your money back period. No having to return the products, fill out forms, or jump through any other hoops, so you really can't lose here. Head over to www.legionathletics.com now, place your order, and see for yourself why my supplements have thousands of rave reviews all over the internet. Alrighty, that is enough shameless plugging for now at least. Let's get to the show. Adam. Welcome, welcome. What's up, man? Oh, you know, just another day in the dungeon, grinding <laughs> away. Grind. What, what are the? What's the video? Grinding, grinding mobs, grinding mobs for XP. You know, is that what it is? I that's can't. The video, that's that's the video game. Uh, the video game speak, dude. That's oh, man. We just had um, a good friend of ours, Mark Mastroff, in, and he is uh, he's signed. I think six teams or whatever now NSRG or some shit. I think his name is oh, the Bay Area. He has like five or six teams here, multi multi billion dollar industry, and watching that just continue to rise. And they're about to open up the floodgates with the gambling. So you're about to see well, what's going to happen with the gambling. I, I heard. Um, I don't play video games. I don't follow the industry at all. I just heard something about esports gambling, bro. So okay. <laughs> this wasn't even a planned topic for you and I, but you just you just spark something that's been on my mind like crazy lately. It's, it, we everybody knows that gaming has been popular and it's growing and it's crazy, yada yada yada. That's that's all true. It's it's one of the fastest growing industries ever, and we're seeing it explode. And it's now reached into the billions of dollars, and it's now generate. I mean, they said the other day that it was generating more than like the NBA, the NFL, and like. Uh, one other organization all combined, like the amount of money that's being uh, spent and, and all, <laughs> on all, yeah, it's getting crazy, right? These kids are filling up stadiums and you have stadiums, football stadiums full of kids 
watching other kids play video games. It's just I've seen that. Yeah, I've seen that. It's in it's the this, uh, I've, I've, was it for that for the game Fortnite? In my event? I don't know, but yeah. I saw that for one of these big games. That's one of them. Yeah, there's a, there's Overwatch, Fortnite, and then there's a couple other ones that are that are like world famous for like for these type of arena events. But League of Legends. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, that's yeah. another one. So these. So what I find really fascinating about this, and they, you know, kind of talking about what we talked about before it got on air, that's kind of crazy and where this is going to take us. So you have, okay, we, we know that Las Vegas, right? Probably one of, the gener- one of the cities that generates the most or most amount of cash flow going in and out of it, right? And how much gambling is a, an addiction for people and all this issue and what that could t- potentially lead to. Okay, so you are about to see in the next year or two i think it's when it, i think in the next year is when it's, it'll pass or who knows what the laws how long it'll take but in the next three to five years let's say you are going to see the most addictive thing we've ever seen for children combined with the most addictive thing that we've ever seen for adults merge which is sports betting and gaming and so i'm wondering what the fuck is that going to do now i'm a gambler i love to gamble and I've got quite a few friends, uh, and I think probably lucky for me, I've seen people lose their entire. What type of gamble? What, what, what do you I like? I love sports betting. I love sports okay. betting, especially like sports betting on t- like the Warriors. I typically stick with Warriors and NFL, and the reason why I like it, and I don't, it's, maybe it's the old man in me, is you know I I played my whole life. I love the game, uh, and I'm a student of the game too. So I I really really watch a lot of uh, basketball and football, and really understand, especially basketball the game. And I think the, the thing that sports betting gives me is if I, like me, I watch every single warrior game. I know the team really well. I know the teams that we play really well. And so I can look at a line and, you know, sometimes the line is a really good line. It's, I'm like, I could go either way. And so I stay away from it. But then sometimes I'm like, Oh, hell no. Like last night. And I'm a gambling, I'm completely ignorant. So a line is like what the bookies are offering, basically. Yeah, exactly. So last night, we the Warriors played the Rockets, and we've lost to them three games. Uh, three, The only three games we've played them this year, they've had our number, right? So, And here we are going into the, the fourth game we're playing them. It's the last game before playoffs. We also are missing Kevin Durant, who's arguably one of our best players. And so the line is giving the Warriors four points. The Warriors never get points. So they're getting four points. In other words, Vegas believes that the Rockets are going to win by four or more. Yeah, and yeah. I love that bet, and I love it for it's like a, it's like a, it's like a handicap. Yeah, yeah. And I and I so I jumped all over and I won. And so I think that uh, so betting for me has turned into that as an adult. Like I I can, I can easily walk away from stuff. I don't bet crazy money. It's just it's fun for me to watch the game and when I appreciate it. So I, it probably makes the games more fun yeah, to watch it makes, too, right? It makes it incredible. And I, yeah, I have you, you feel like you have more skin in the game. Totally. And I at the every season, the beginning of the year, I track all my winnings and losing. And you know I'm I'm having probably the best season of my life in gambling. But I, I look at it like, okay, I'm going to put X amount of dollars to the side. If I lose that through the course of the year, I lose it. It's it's all for fun and games, and obviously I want to win. And so I don't. I have really good habits around it. I think a lot of the habits have came because I've had lots of friends that I've seen get addicted to it and go down the the really bad path. And so you know, back to the gaming thing, we see the addiction of games with kids, right? I mean, it's just insane that you can kids now can sit. And play video games from sunup to sundown every single day, and they're incredibly engaging games, and it's hard to get them to peel away from it. So we we know that how addicting it is for children, and then if you know how addicting gambling is for adults, and I've just never seen something like this combined, and we're about to see that you're going to be able to lay sports like sports bets on 
kids that play video games and the generation coming up. Like I wouldn't know if, you know, speedy Mike from Indiana, who's playing, you know, whoever from China, you know, who are the top two Fortnite players are merging and playing each other tonight, but there will come out a line and there'll be a, like a betting line on them. And you're going to be able to bet on who wins and whatever. And of course, just like anything else, there'll be prop bets, like, you know, who gets killed first and who, how many minutes do they serve? And they'll find everything and anything to gamble on, which is just going to feed into these addictive properties that this game already has. And it's going to be interesting to see the repercussions that we, we get from that. I'm very fascinated to watch that. Hey, quickly, before we carry on, if you are liking my podcast, would you please help spread the word about it? Because no amount of marketing or advertising gimmicks can match the power of word of mouth. So if you are enjoying this episode and you think of someone else who might enjoy it as well, please do tell them about it. It really helps me. And if you are going to post about it on social media, definitely tag me so I can say thank you. You can find me on Instagram at Muscle for Life Fitness, Twitter at Muscle for Life, and Facebook at Muscle for Life Fitness. Do you think the gambling is just going to bring more money and more attention to it in general? Yeah, yeah no, of course. Okay. Yeah, no. And again, these are, these are uh, probably stupid questions, but I don't follow... I mean, I played a bit of poker back in the day. I don't, so I don't follow sports, but I have no idea even how popular it is. It's probably hugely popular. I just have no oh idea. Oh my God. It's like the, one of the most popular things. So it's, 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 it's actually a decent question. I get a lot because a lot of people aren't into gambling. They don't know. But like, so I, I remember the first time I, that I became aware that, okay, this could become a problem even with myself. And it was just because I was hanging out with another guy that was gambling a lot. I had a lot of loose cash at the time. And I found myself on a Tuesday night gambling on two teams that I don't even watch gamblers that have a real issue. They'll gamble on anything and everything. Like right now, the way I gamble, I gamble on a team that I watch. I know lots about them and I'm watching the game. And so it's entertaining for me when it becomes an addiction. It's you're gambling on anything and everything that you can get your hands on. The horses are racing in 15 minutes. You're on that. There's fucking a coin flip going on. You're You're betting on that. And so, yeah, it's going to be really fascinating to see what that pulls into it. So I'm, I'm actually, you know, and this is part of why I've been talking to Mark Mastroff and Andy Miller, who are guys that are connected to this. They've got millions of dollars invested into it because I'm trying to find areas where I can invest on the industry because I believe the industry is, as much as it's already grown and how huge it is, it's going to go ape shit when you actually start to pair it with with gambling. Do you think that's a good thing though? Do you think it's culturally it's uh, good? No. So I got to be honest, I mean if there's there, there's a part of you that feels guilty for betting on that, right? Or for me investing in it because I'm invest it's like me yeah, why 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 invest in it? Well, because I know it's going to go, you know, because I I know I know that it's going to go that direction because people don't But yeah, I mean, but you can make money in in many other ways. You don't have to support shit that you don't believe in. You're like, this is fucking bad, but money's money. That's true. No, that's fair. And I think that, uh, you know, but fuck, what you could say that about supplements. <laughs> that about supplements. You know, I was joking. I was joking. Yeah, I mean, we'll, no, we'll get to that in a second. I was. That's a great. That's a great question. It's a it's an internal battle that I deal with all the time, man. It really is. It's like. What business isn't like that, right? What business, the ones that are the most successful, it's because their people have an obsessive personality over them and they just keep coming back and buying more and buying more. I mean, we've turned into this consumer culture that didn't even exist 40 years ago. So, yeah, that's true. There's not much money in virtue. That's for sure. Yeah, that's no, there's a sure. better way to say it, right? And so I guess that's, 
I, you're right. And I don't disagree with you. And it, it's something that I think I, I wrestle with like, man, it's like, it'd be like, uh, for example, I remember when that, the, I don't know if you remember when that, that stupid tool, and I know it's still growing where people could eat whatever they want. And it's a tube that goes straight to their stomach. It's, it's basically like, and they try to say it as like a medical thing that they can help people out. It got FDA approved to, I didn't, I didn't hear about it. Oh, that. it's a stomach pump basically. And it's, and they, they literally do a, a, a surgery where they, they put a, a tube into your stomach and then you get a pump. And then right after you eat, you can purge through the pump. <laughs> yeah, you don't know about this? Oh, no. Oh, no. Dude, yeah, yes. Clown world. Bro. Never, never fails. Right. FDA approved, man. They, this is, they, yes. This, it blew my mind. So you see something like that, and, you know, there's, I'm not going to lie, there's the urge to invest behind things like that because I fucking know people's behavior. I know, <laughs> I know there's a million people that see that and go, like, what? You mean to tell me that I can go out drinking and have fucking donuts and cake and, just all you gotta do is pump it out my stomach and because it's FDA approved and there's people standing behind it and saying it's okay, that it's not the same as me sticking my finger in my fucking throat and just throwing it up afterwards. Like really? Wow. I struggle with that all the time. I mean, I, I got to think you do the same thing too, right? How many times have you seen a, a potential investment opportunity or something, you know, is going to explode and then you're like, ah, oh, fuck man, it'd be smart to put money on that. But do I really want to support that? Right. Yeah. I mean, I would say speaking to, to supplements, because you brought that up, that was, of course, one of the reasons when I first was even considering supplements, I was not, I didn't think I was going to do it because uh, I, I figured that you basically just have to be a bullshit artist to make any money in supplements. And that's true to a point. So how I've done it is, um, I mean, you know the story. I just I just spend a lot on my products. So I, I have a high budget for any of these products. And I would work with people like Curtis Frank, who's the co-founder of examine.com and Menno Henselman's and uh, Eric Helms and James Krieger and Brad Dieter, all the guys that are over on on my scientific advisory board, which actually is an advisory board. It's not just a marketing ploy. The formulations, Curtis is really the driver on formulations because he knows more about supplementation than anyone I'll probably ever meet uh, for the rest of my life. And all the other guys are a sounding board. And so we really strive to make products that one are actually worth buying. That's the first criterion, right? That it will do something. It's not completely worthless. And then two that are clinically dosed. So meaning you have ingredients that have been proven to provide benefits in good scientific research where you could say the actual weight of the evidence is that this thing does this, not that there was this one isolated in vitro rat study that suggested maybe this does something sometimes, you know what I mean? And then putting enough of those ingredients into the products. And what that came down to is from a business perspective, Legion is is horribly flawed in that its cost of goods is literally about double what it should be. So somebody who doesn't know the industry, and I've spoken to savvy business people who are like, what the fuck is this COGS? What are you doing? This should be half. Like, How are you supposed to grow and make millions of dollars? What are you doing? What that means is that Legion's profitability, it'll cruise I mean, it's been quite low in the past, but that's more due to spending money on things that didn't pan out. But running the company well, running the marketing well, running it efficiently, really leveraging our advantages, which come in many ways from all the work that I do outside of Legion, writing books, recording podcasts, writing articles, all that stuff. It can reach maybe, let's say, two-thirds of the average profitability of the industry. So it can reach a level of profitability where a business person would say, 
yeah, that's pretty good. It will never be great. It would. It will never have a 30% net. Never. It just never will. The only way to do that would be to gut my products. And so I could have done that though. That's what most people do in the supplement space. They don't actually care to make good products. They just care to have good margins and then they just lie. It's not that complicated. For what it's worth, I can say that at least I have the courage of my convictions and I've made decisions that have directly lost me millions of dollars. Like I would be several million dollars, literally several million dollars richer cash that I could have done anything with if I would have done it that way. I I would still do it the same way though, because integrity does mean something to me. And maybe I'm just not as money motivated as some people. And I also maybe, and this is, this is going to sound like me bragging, but I've actually thought about this. Like, why do I feel this way about it? Not that I think it's bad, but just out of actual curiosity and so I'd say it's probably that I'm not all that money motivated and I'm not afraid of hard work. I'm not looking for a shortcut. I'm not trying to get rich quick. And so if it means that I have to work harder to create more good stuff that people like, I'll just do that. And so that's really what I've done. So the supplement business is doing well and I make a fair amount of money from it, but I make more money from my books than I do from Legion. And those books represent a lot a fucking work. And so I've, I've more gone about it that way where I'm like, okay, so I have Legion and then I'm good. I'm going to create books. Okay, good. I'm going to have a coaching service that has several hundred active clients and is going to do, you know, seven figures in revenue this year. Um, what else can I do to compensate for the fact that I didn't just completely sell out on the supplements when I could have just done that. And then probably honestly, I mean, the books are a pillar of all of my stuff and it would be stupid to stop doing them. But as far as the finances go, it wouldn't be as necessary. So that's my long-winded answer to the supplement point. That's actually a great segue into the original question that you asked me about masterminds. Yeah, that's a good point. Where that's that's one like sure, fucking easy money masterminds. Yeah, yeah, and, and I guess it's been anybody who I guess that really knows me. Like I'm, I'm so wear my emotions on my sleeve type of guy, and when I do posts like that. There's always something that stirred me up. You know, it's like, okay, I got to got to fire up my ass right now. I'm going to I'm going to say something because this is just an, starting to annoy me. And I had this kid reach out to me. He was telling me that he had hired this guy for coaching and I know both guys. I know where their business is at. I just based off of And and just to be clear, this is business coaching, right? Not like training. Yes, this is business coaching. Yeah, this is and what I've seen and what's going on right now in our space is nothing new. This has been around forever. And anybody that's been in marketing like you for a really long time understands that one of the best ways, one of the fastest ways that you can make money and a lot of money is to teach others or sell others on the idea that you can help them make lots of money. I mean, that's like pyramid scheme MLM 101. And we are seeing that surge right now with these mastermind groups. What I'm careful about saying, and and I do want to make this point when I'm talking about these, is that's not to take away from somebody that has reached a, a point in their career where they are a fucking black belt and a ninja at business, and they shouldn't charge tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars for their, you know, coaching, business coaching services because they're that fucking badass that, you know, you're going to learn everything you need to know to scale a business to a 50 to $100 million company. Like, so I believe there's outliers like that out there. But what we're seeing is all these people that are learning to gain traction on social media. And so you have this illusion that they're really successful because they've got 
a hundred thousand followers or whatever on whatever platform and they take pictures of their cool car and they, they do rented, all the uh, they rented a Lamborghini for the day. Yeah, right. You know, they they do all the things to to look the part. So and we as a bunch of silly monkeys, we see that and we just assume that they're wealthy and successful and rich and they do that business. And then the next thing is to sell business coaching or sell out these mastermind groups where you charge people a few hundred to a few thousand to I've seen tens of thousands of dollars to join these groups that are going to help you build your business. And those are recurring expenses, right? Those are annual. I've been pitched on a God, There was one that I was pitched on. It was like a hundred K a year <laughs> like for, to hang out with a bunch of fucking slimy con men. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Totally. And that, and I've been the same thing. I've been pitched things from as low as thousand dollar a month type of reoccurring to as big as $150,000 a year reoccurring to be a part of these massive, you know, mastermind or coaching groups. And when you really unpack these people's businesses, 90% of their fucking revenue they're making is off of this. So <laughs> they don't ha- it's not like they have a, it's not like they have a hundred million dollar business and they're saying, Hey, you know not, what? Because if they did one, they wouldn't care to do the, the business mastermind. Right. And two, they probably wouldn't right. have the time. Right. Right. And this is what people don't see. It's like, dude, if these guys and girls have enough time to teach you how to build a seven figure business, they're probably not operating one themselves, you know, because I'll tell you what it takes on my end to do something like that. And it's fucking overwhelming as shit. And I have no business spending time talking to groups of people to teach them how to do what I'm still learning how to do and continue to do. Right. It's like, if they were legitimately doing that kind of money, then you know, you know what that takes as a business. And you also know what you're constantly focused on. Like when you get to a point where you've scaled a business to seven or eight figures, half of the monster is always looking three years ahead. Like, because that money doesn't just always keep coming. It's like, what am I going to do next six months to make sure these revenue streams keep coming in? Like nobody builds a business like that where it's like, Hey, I'm making $10 million a year and I don't have to do anything like travel around and hold these mastermind groups and teach people how to do the same thing. And it's like, dude, these people are getting suckered into this. And it's just, it reminds me of MLM. It reminds me of the, you know, Monavi and the Anway and the, all these MLM groups where there's always like an outlier who's been successful, you know, whatever dollar amount they got to. And then really where they make most of their money is convincing all of you to listen to them and buy into the product themselves. And that's what we're seeing with these mastermind groups. And it's really annoying to me, especially when they're, when they're people that like, I know like this, the person that I'm sharing this story about that kind of lit me up was, you know, both of these people, we held a thing two years ago and it was, we called it a train the trainer and it was free. We, we basically capped it at, I think 50 trainers. That's about what we thought we could comfortably fit in the studio and said, Hey, Anywhere you're at in the world, you can come to this. It's free. Uh, we can only fit about 50 people. So if you want to come, you got to call, sign up, do your thing. And we're going to host an, an all-day training event to help you guys be better trainers and better businessmen and women. And it filled up. And then we, we did it. And we had a great turnout. And what I saw was there's some people that had taken that. And they had networked with all these people that were at our thing. And some of them have taken a page out of some of these other you know, quote unquote, influencers, the the Lewis Howes, the Amanda Bucci's, these type of people that are making a lot of money off of these influencer type of academies and shit. Is that what they're teaching people how to get Instagram followers? 
Yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely. Like, I, I know, uh, like Bucci, she has a. That's literally what her. I believe it's her main revenue source is her influencer academy. So it teaches you how to be an influencer on Instagram. And I'm so fascinated by how many people are making a ton of money teaching people to do this. And so you're starting to see all these lemmings. Everybody's doing the same thing. It's like get enough people following you on social media, get your imagery right, get your posting right, get enough attention there, and then pivot into finding the few whales that are willing to pay you to try and learn to do the same thing. And it's a fascinating thing to stand by and watch, but it's really pathetic and it's really unfortunate. And I can't stomach myself to do it. And I was actually talking to this CEO lady the other day that I ran into that's a friend of a friend. And she was asking business stuff. And I'm very transparent about if someone asked me, what do you guys make? What are you guys doing? How do you monetize? Blah, 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 and all that stuff. And I was sharing these things with her. And she goes, you know what you need to do? And she starts telling me, you know, the money is in you teaching others how to do what you've done. I'm just like, no, nah, I just don't feel good about that. I don't want, I know there's a ton of money. I get DMs every single day of people asking that. And in fact, what brought this up was this kid was about to start spending $1,000 a month on somebody ma- teaching him a mastermind. And he was reaching out to me to see if I would do something similar to that in that price range. And I was just very blunt with him. I said, man, I, dude, I, I literally, I love you. I think you're a great kid. I think you got a lot of great things going for you. But what you're asking for me to do, one, I don't think that you're ready for what I would give you for monthly coaching. You know, where my mind is at is totally different from where you're at. And the stuff that you need to learn you could go pick up from a book from Barnes and Noble for nine dollars. You know what I'm saying, and, and read it. Yep. Or just and put in the work. That's 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 a point. I just want to interject. Is is that is I get asked all the time. Not not if I'm going to do a mastermind because I've never spoken about doing it. I never would do it. Uh, but just just asking for business advice. People sometimes asking to have calls and stuff. And so I have like a standard list of books that I recommend to people. I'm like, honestly, this if you just read these four or five books, just start here and really absorb this information and apply it halfway intelligently. You don't even have to be a genius about it. Just do a, a good enough job. You will be on your way. You don't need to pay me. I don't even know what I would charge if I was going to be doing consulting because I, I don't. Yeah, it's just I, there's so many other things that I could be doing. It wouldn't make any sense to me to do it at all, period. But you wouldn't need to pay me that money. Just read these books. Let me know if you have any questions. It's really think of it like training. It's not that complicated. It's energy balance. It's macronutrient balance. It's mechanical tension. It's overload. It's frequency. It's volume. That's it. Put those things together, mix them up, and you can have a fantastic physique in business. There are five or six other little, here are the levers, here are the buttons, just push and pull them in the right order most of the time and uh, work fucking hard and don't fuck it up and you can be very successful. Well, it's like these groups too that I see like the 10X with like uh, Andy Versella and all that crew, right? Grant Cardone and all those dudes that are over there that are in their little clique and they all feed each other marketing stuff and poach each other's people and make a ton of money. And then they all come together and they market to their people to come to these massive, massive events. events. Yeah. It costs thousands of dollars and they fill up freaking huge events. And, you know, I just, I couldn't sleep at night. Cause here's what I know. I know statistically speaking, the likelihood that you're going to succeed as an entrepreneur. I already know what that is. Like I already, I already know that I'm sitting, if I'm sitting in a room with a hundred people, maybe 10 of you make it. You know, so 
that and that's at best, right? Are are, are going to make it and be really successful. So I just couldn't sleep at night making this hoopla energy music blaring. I come out talking a big game, fucking roll up in my Lamborghini and tell you guys, you want this life? You want this life? You can get this life. And knowing in the back of my head, like, who am I kidding? You know, most everybody who's listening to me right now is not going to see that. That's just a fact. They're not going to be that successful. They're not going to ever reach the success rate in, in entrepreneurship is like 20%. Those that make it into the millions of dollars is like less than 10%. And those that can actually manage that and keep that going for more than three or five years is reduced by another like 50%. I think, yeah, I think it's lower than that. Doug, if you pull up, I, I'm going to get, if you want to Google it and check it, I'm going to guess that businesses that reach a million dollars in sales and just in revenue, it's probably at most 1% would be my guess. And businesses that reach 10 million in annual in revenue, it's probably one one hundredth of a percenter. That, that's my guess. No, I think you're you're close. I know that I, I've seen this before and I know I'm throwing just random numbers. I know it's less than that. That's what I'm saying is like, you're in this arena of a thousand people and you and your 10 buddies that are all rich, you know, have come together and combined forces to sucker all these people into listen to your motivational bullshit. And you get up on stage and you start talking up a big game about how they can do it too. Like, how the fuck do you sleep at night, dude? Like, how do you sleep at night knowing damn well that there's the thousands of people that are out there that are listening to you that are pumping your tires? Literally 1% of them will ever even come close to doing what you've done. If that, to me, that's, I can't do it. I, mean, I guess it depends what, what you're selling. I mean, ironically, I know Grant. I wouldn't say he's a friend of mine. He was he, my brother knows him better. And as far as I know, he's actually a pretty good dude. Um, he's not lying about the money he makes in real estate. That's where he makes, and he, he's open about that. That's where he makes absurd. That's what really funds his lifestyle. But I don't know what he's selling outside of that. I don't fully follow him. Like what is what's what's the pitch or the whole 10x thing? Is it just because he has he has some books and he does these events? So I don't know what, uh, to be honest, and I've, I've heard nothing but good things about these guys. So I don't, this isn't me like talking shit about them as people, right? Like I just, I think that I've had multiple people that are connected to Andy Versella and they've said positive things about him. I mean, I think he lies about revenue hundred percent. So do I. I remember a couple of years ago when he said it was a hundred million a year. And I, I, so he has a couple million dollars in cars. You're you know, so cool, dude. And then there was a video I saw of, uh, it was like a transformation video where he was super fat and he was going to get in better shape and it showed his house and his house was nothing. It was maybe a five or six or $700,000 house. And at that point, no, 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 no. Pause. Stop. There's no way that a dude who is supposedly, whose companies are supposedly making $100 million a year and who is loves to show off money is living in a five, six, seven dollars $700,000 house. Impossible. Don't care what anybody says. No. <laughs> that's a, that's no, a, that's no, for no. Me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I 100% think it's, it's a facade. They took a page right out of the shreds model. What they did was they got a lot of influence. So I think he came in with capital. Like, so if I, and this is me totally speculating right now. So for the audience that's listening right now, I don't have, I, most of my information is hearsay. And from what I observe, it's just as a, as a business minded person and, and being in the industry for as long as I have. What I see is somebody who came in with a decent amount of capital, enough capital that they could afford to say, okay, we are going to find the hundred most influential people in the fitness health space. We're going to pay them $1,000 a month, plus we're going to pay them commission on all of their sales, and we're going to scoop them all up. 
And they did. They got a bunch of people uh, from, you know, ass showing bikini girls to fitness guys that are buffed and ripped and, and showing cool exercises. And they swooped up a ton of them. And I, I'm sure they all got paid commission, maybe some. And I'm sure they have a sliding scale. I think he's a smart sales and marketing rah rah guy. So I think that they probably had a sliding scale that if you sold X amount, you get bonuses. And over. being the sales guy that I am and, and running sales teams for a very long time and structuring that, it's exactly how I would do it if I didn't fucking care. If I didn't have a moral compass and I didn't care and I had some capital in my pocket, if I had 100 grand or whatever like that in my pocket, I'd go after the top. 50 to 100 influencers in the health and fitness space, pay them a few bucks, but really motivate them through incentive. Because I know if I inv- motivate them through incentive, anything extra or harder they work, I'm going to get more money myself and bonus them and override them and then compete them against each other. Then I hold these big events, which you see them do, where I get them all together and I bring up the top 10 in sales and give them a Rolex watch and fucking spray champagne all over them and be like, fuck yeah, <laughs> we're changing lives, you guys, fuck yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I would do that. I would totally be this guy if I didn't, you know, if I, if I was like that and I was just chasing a dollar. And so that's what I see. I see a company that did a very good job at that. They came in early in the Instagram space as far as, supplements i thought that they did it just like uh shreds did but a little bit more taste i think he had his business a little bit tighter than shreds i think shreds had you know a guy from fucking jersey shore behind it you know what i'm saying that's what yeah yeah <laughs> they just turned it completely loose yeah i mean that's what, that's what i ran i ran into what's his face i can't even think of his name right now from jersey shore and he was just coked out of his mind in a fucking mess coming out of las vegas one time and i'm like this is the guy who fucking helped build shreds like <laughs> it's that is why, <laughs> that's why it's not existent today so i mean to, to give andy credit i'm sure he's a, a pretty savvy business guy and smart enough to probably not let a bunch of idiot kids uh, running his business. And he did a good job of taking advantage of all these influencers and bringing them in and spiffing them and motivating them to sell more from them. But that's really that whole model. That's all. I mean, I don't, at least that's my perspective. Do you agree or do you see something different than I do? Yeah. I mean, again, I I don't pay that much attention to to first form and, and what he's doing, but from what I've seen, yeah, I've seen the events and like you're saying, I mean, I've seen, obviously the formulations are weak one, for one, I, I know how much those products cost. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, so there you go. Like, then you have great margins, right? So now you have the ability to pay. And they're expensive. Yeah. Products are expensive. Yeah. So you could sell high. You create awesome margins so you can spiff your people out that are hustling for you. So th- that's the, the part where if you did a good job, which I'm assuming that he did this, the people that are hustling the hard, the people that are really responsible for making that company grow to whatever it is right now are those people, the people that are hustling on Instagram as hard as they can to sell these supplements. And they're happy because they're probably making decent money. You know, they're probably getting commissioned out and bonuses and overrides. If you're, the, you know, and just like any other sale, the 80-20, right? 80% of the people are making 20% of the money. 20% of the people are making 80% of the money. So there's probably the top tier people that are actually probably crushing it. And they're fucking live and die by the brand because he's paid them well. And to me, it's not rocket science to build that formula and to do that. I just, I don't, it wouldn't be fulfilling for me. It wouldn't be fulfilling. I wouldn't feel like it's a, a incredible business that I built. I wouldn't feel like I'm helping. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be proud of yeah, it. I, I honestly, yeah, would. I wouldn't be proud because because it, it's to me. What does that represent? It represents a oh, hustle grind. It represents you are smart enough to build a simple machine, and you're willing to work hard enough to do that. To me, that's not impressive. That's not even admirable. 
And it's not something that I would be proud of personally. Right, right. I think if I were to do something like that, it would be literally to get to a point, sell and get away from it because I don't want anything to do with it. It's like, let me prove <laughs> that there's a bunch of lemmings out there that I could easily build this up. I could do this. I could scale it to be a $10 million company and try and sell it off for you know, more than that. And then walk away from it and say, it's your headache to deal with. I don't want, cause you know, yeah, I, I know a guy who, who just, who's just in the final phase of doing that, where he built up a business. He doesn't really believe in there's cognitive dissonance. He has to live with it every day and that he has a, a moral compass and he's been kind of flouting it to build this business. And so, yeah, he just wants to sell it and be done with it for the, there's the money, but then uh, there's also just the, it'll give him some peace of mind to talk about sleeping at night where he can, that was in the past. Now he can, you know, maybe do it a bit differently in his next venture, do something that he believes a bit more in. That's, I'm a walking story of that. I, I, I did the cannabis industry uh, and I did it for the money, hundred percent. Like I, I was an anti-cannabis guy leading up into that. And I just could not refuse the amount of money that was put in front of me. And I'm 28 years old in my life and very money motivated at this point in my life, you know, because I came from nothing and I, my whole life I was driven by, you know, wanting to have success and reaching this financial goal that I had set for myself. And, you know, I found that I found that in medical marijuana. And the thing that I found though, that was the best thing that ever happened to me was I reached that point and I was there for a couple of years and I, and I tell people that man, the first year, no doubt, fucking awesome. First year of making the money that I'd always wanted to make in my life. Uh, the stories that came from that, the shit that I bought and spent and did and like, yeah, great, great time for one year. And then after that year, like I was empty. I just, I was in the worst shape of my life. My personal relationships with my girlfriend at the time, with my friends at the time was terrible. I was unfulfilled absolutely unfulfilled at the deepest pockets I've ever had in my life. And up until that point, there's nobody that could have told me that story and got me to tour from what I was already doing. I was on a mission to make a certain amount of money. No fucking person that's older and wiser was going to come in and say, son, that's not what it's about. You're going to get there. You're not gonna be happy. Fuck you. You don't know what it's like to be as broke as I was. I need to get there. And I did. And when it got there, it was, it was, is absolutely, that was unbelievably unfulfilling. And I had realized at that moment that three years before that, when I was making a tenth of the money, I was a happier person. And that was really what made me come back into fitness was, hey, there was something that drew me to fitness forever. And there's a reason why when I left it, I felt unfulfilled and I missed it. And I came back. And what was great when I came back to the beginning of us building Mind Pump was I didn't need money. I didn't need it at that time. And I was in a position that I could not take an income from it and we could slowly build it. And really the conversations were never really around how are we going to make money? They were around like, how do we want to present ourselves? How do we want to build this thing? What do we want to give? And so the focus was completely different and it's amazing. It's like, you know, and, and of course the business has been scaling and, and growing since we started it, but uh, I'm just as happy today as I was when we were broke at the very beginning of it. You know, it's like, it's the, the mission, the idea of what we're doing it just continues to be fulfilling and enjoying. I love every day that we come in here. I've never had something that I've worked on before where I just can't wait to get to work and, and put our minds together and figure out what we're going to do or what we're going to talk about. It's a lesson that I needed. I, ha I absolutely had to go through that to feel it because I don't know if anybody, just like I'm sure there's somebody listening right now to your podcast who is a kid who probably came from nothing and is broke and is he's got a, a hustler mentality like I did and 
is on a mission to not be like his parents and not have you know, wants things. And I think there's a lot of good with that. I think that you can use a lot of that energy to drive you. But what ends up happening when you get there is you, you come to realize that it's not all that what it was cracked up to be, you know? Yeah. And if you don't have something else, you had something to fall back on. So it, it was on the whole, a very positive experience for you because it was a lesson that you were able to learn. So you're like, okay, well, that didn't quite go as planned. So what can I learn from this? Hmm, maybe I should do something that is actually fulfilling to me and something that I actually believe in and I'm actually drawn toward. And then we'll figure out how to make money. Uh, but it's, it's going to be, I wouldn't call it an afterthought, but it's not the primary objective. It's more like, how can I make money doing something that I really believe in? Many people though, and I, I know this just from talking with a lot of people in person via the internet, where they will experience what you've experienced, but then they don't know where to go from there. They, they don't have something where, I mean, I've spoken with people that, um, you know, it's a common trope in these conversations is, I don't know what, I'm just not passionate about anything, right? And sometimes these are people who have made a lot of money. Sometimes they're people that have not made a lot of money, but making money I think you have to be kind of a, there has to be something wrong with you, a bit of a sociopath. I don't know. There's something, if, if that's your true passion is just making money, you're probably not a very good person and you're probably going to cause a lot more harm in the world than, than help. There's a lot of people I think that probably identify with who I was. Well, let's say this way, you're, you're, if, if that's where you're at, you're in that, while you're being that person, I, I just don't think there's that much good in the world that's no, going to come no, out. 100%. My passion is I just want more money. I want more money. The, I, I mean, some of the worst people I've known in my life are those people. <laughs> You're incredibly insecure at that point in your life. That's where I was at. Someone asked me a question about this last Q&A we did about what was the, like the most life-changing or biggest life lesson that I ever got. And for me, it was when I short sold my house. And when I short sold my house, I did it at the time because my buddy who was into real estate and actually had done my loan had told me that it would be a really smart strategy based off of where the market was going. And yeah, my credit's going to take a ding, but I'll be fine. And yada, yada, yada. Well, the whole point of me sharing that story was what had happened to me was I come to this realization that I am not my house. I'm not my credit score. I'm not what other people think I am. And up to that point, I was. I took so much pride in being successful and having an 850 credit score and being this person who bought his house by 21 years old. I cared so much about that that when I had to walk away from it and it got all fucking flipped upside down, it just like it threw me in this depression until I snapped out of it and realized I am not that person. This is not who I am. This is not my identity. And so it was one of the greatest things to be stripped of all that was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. But I think a lot of people, they just go on blindly forever doing that. I even told Katrina that if I would have had a kid at that time in my life, I would have allowed that the impacts of my insecurities to have trickled down to my newborn child that's coming. Because I know me at 25 and 26, and when that stuff mattered so much to me, that my insecurities would have bled into my child. I would have had a child, and I would have spent tons of money on him, and he would have all this expensive shit, and it would be my insecurities, because I would be, in my head, I already know how I'd be thinking. It would be like, I didn't have these things, and my parents couldn't provide this stuff, and I'm going to give it all to you. you know, I'm gonna, And this is what we see, and you don't realize it, but then that has its cause and effect years later because of how you raised that kid. And I think a lot of these people that are super money, money hungry, they have whatever reasons that drove them that way. And probably many of them can relate to how I grew up because I get it. And what happens is they never grow out of it. They never grow beyond it. And 
they allow these things that these tangible things, monetary things to try and fill this hole. And it's an empty hole. You just keep pouring, you know, cars and money and strip clubs and toys, and you just keep pouring it into this. And if you got a lot of money, you just keep doing more and more of it. And if you run out of buying things and you just, you push harder for more money and you never really realize what the root cause of this feeling is. And the root cause is that I'm insecure. I'm still insecure about who I am. And I feel the need to have to have these things to fill that. And so the people that I see like that, so I have empathy. I have empathy because I go, okay, I can connect and relate to that because I was like that at one point when I was younger in my life. And they're still living it. It's Unfortunately, some of them are 40, 50, 60-year-old men that like we were talking about earlier in the podcast that they are still in that place where like I have a hard time like even showing the things that like I, I posted my Camaro the other day because I've gotten so many fucking DMs from people that found out that I had a, a 68 SS and I just don't like doing that. I don't like putting that stuff out there because I feel like anybody that's confident in who they are and the success they have, I don't need affirmation from other people anymore to tell me how successful or how badass I am. Where 10, 15 years ago, I did. I seek that. And so when I see these people like who we're talking about doing these things, that's what I see. I see insecure boys in grown-ass man's bodies that still need that affirmation. They still need to be told that they're great, that they're awesome, that they're badass, they're so successful. It's like, nah, you know, and I tell people this all the time, and I actually use you as a great analogy because I think you're a really good example of somebody who the average person would have no idea just how fucking successful you are, but that's because you come from a place of confidence, but you're not insecure about it, and you don't need affirmation. You don't need guys like me telling you how successful and how great you are. You fucking know it. And so you don't need to post about it. You don't need to talk about it. You don't bring it up. But what I have found in my life is, and I've been around tons of millionaires now, the ones that are the most successful are those ones, are the ones that you would have no fucking clue. The ones that are having to present it and show it are the ones that are pretending. You know, they're not the ones that really get there. Because you know what? You know what? Most people that have had a lot of money, which I know you can relate to this, when you reach a per- certain point of success, you actually want less and less people to know about it <laughs> because <laughs> more and more people try and take advantage of you. More and more people expect things from you. More and more people want things from you. So most people that have that have reached a point of real, real success and made a lot of money, they don't want motherfuckers to know. <laughs> Say, like, keep my shit on the hush. I don't want people to know I got all this money because it just gives me more of a headache, right? Yeah. And if you're not seeking that approval or the admiration or the the acknowledgement, then what are you getting from trying to, even if it's subtly inform people that you're, that you're successful, you just, just, there's nothing positive that that comes out of it. There was, uh, this makes me think of a guy a couple years ago who uh, emailed and just asked saying he read my book, he read Bigelina Stronger, he really liked it. I'm just curious uh, if I'd have some time to get on the phone with him. He'd just like to learn a bit more about the businesses and how it's going, right? And I get these emails here and there, but his bio looked kind of fancy. And uh, I was like, oh, I wonder who this guy is. So I Google him and it turns out he is the CEO of Take-Two Interactive, the video game company that had Red Dead Redemption, Rockstar Games. They own Rockstar Games. So he's the CEO of that and he owns a significant portion of it because he has a private equity company with like $13 billion in assets, right? 
And so I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, <laughs> let's, let's talk. And I've gotten to know him. I've had him on my podcast. He wrote a fitness book. He's really into fitness. And just one of the most down to earth dudes. I, I've, you know, I've been to New York a couple of times, met up with him, had lunch and stuff. Very, very similar in that if you were to just be hanging out with him here, just to show up at a party, you might get a sense that, I mean, this guy's he's had a, an amazing career as a, as a business person. I think he has a degree from Harvard. He has a degree from Yale. So you, if you spoke to him, you, you would get a sense of this, this guy, this guy's smart, but never talks about himself. You, you would just never know that he's as successful as he is. And he's much more interested in other people and just interested in the world than he is interested in trying to be interesting. And I think that's one of the key things, right? It's the difference between, it's one of those, the famous two people in the world framework, right? There are two people. There are people who are interesting and there are people who are interested. You have the the people that you've been describing that are just stuck in that, I have to be interesting. I have to get attention versus people who are interested in things and interested in people and interested in topics or in events. And you can quickly tell when you spend five minutes with somebody, you can quickly tell, is this person interesting or interested? And for whatever reason, it's probably cultural. We have a lot more people in the world, at least here in the West, who are interesting and who that's the only thing they're interested in <laughs> is being interesting. And there's, there's just something repugnant about that and it's pathological and it's a dead end. And basically I, I think of it as the, the analogy of you're just gathering speed. It's a dead end. And the more you get into it, the faster you're going when you finally hit the wall at the end. I, you know, I, I use the, the phrase that it's, uh, you have people that have the juice and then you have people that have the sauce, right? And you, if you have the juice, like anybody can be fast and juice and, and go, be quick but the sauce is the recipe and you got to have the full recipe to be this interesting person that goes on forever and not just pretending to be interesting. The crazy part though, and what I wonder about is we are in this social media Instagram world now that man, it just perpetuates this so much that you've got to have this image. You got to have this look on social media in order to be successful. And it's driving everybody in the opposite wrong direction. And what I wonder is, will it catch up? Like, will, are we going to see in five years, all these people that were so focused on an image and gathering likes and comments on their social media platforms that really weren't business savvy people that really didn't have anything of value. They were providing people that didn't really have something sustainable are we going to see the rug get pulled out from underneath them? Or are, do we live in a world now that because you have this ability to connect? Like for example, I'll look at a, a kid like um, Devin Physique, who was tied to the, the Shreds company. And I followed Shreds. Oh, yeah. There was that, there was that coaching scandal yeah. where he was right, right. ripping people right. off. So, I mean, he was part of a, a terrible company like Shreds. He got caught up in the coaching scandal of hiring some 20-year-old girl to pretend to be him and answer all his clients' questions. And he made a few million dollars. And that was back when the kid had, I want to say, 800,000 to a million followers. And he recovered. You know, he recovered from that and is now at like 2 million-something followers and probably right back to doing what he's doing, but probably tightened up his game and is maybe handling his clients more or what, I don't know what he's done system wise, but I mean, I wonder if, because you have this ability to reach so many people so fast, like you were saying, 
is the rug going to get pulled out from underneath them? Or are they just going to find another million suckers because we're, we've got billions of people on this earth. And so, you know, shit, I, I, I built a business off of 1 million people. I fucking did some shady shit. I did bad. It blew up in my face. That's okay. I can turn right around. And for example, you see uh, the other kid who was part of Shreds, Joey Swole, who has started another supplement line called Rise Sups, and they're following the same formula. And so I, I wonder if we're going to see it collapse or there's just that many people that are that many suckers that allow people like this to do bullshit like that, get caught up, blow it up, and then still turn right back around and do it again. And there's nothing you can do to really stop it. Yeah, I just uh, I just pulled up Devin's Instagram. Yeah, he's at 1.7 million now, and um, he's a walking tattoo. He looks like he belongs in prison. Spending all your guys' money on face tattoos and Lamborghinis. <laughs> but to, to your point, um, I mean, you look at it. Into, this is this is just another another dimension of celebrity, right? So, um, celebrities generally have a shelf life. Of course, look at it in terms of actors and actresses. So you have your time in, in the light, and then eventually you just kind of become irrelevant, and people don't care anymore. I guess it's a little bit different in social media that it's a little bit more under your control because in Hollywood, it's up to the gatekeepers. They really decide whether you get cast and whether they're going to give you that role or not. And, and I know that even among top tier celebrities, there is uh, an anxiety among many of them of, is this it? Am I done? Was this last movie my last? Because I don't get to decide. It doesn't matter uh, what I've done or how good of an actor or actress I am. There's a small group of people that run this game. And if at some point they're like, nah, we're done with him. Here's the next guy. Then I, I'm irrelevant. And sure, these people can still make money, but in social media, of course, you don't necessarily have that. So it's just, what's the next ridiculous thing that I'm going to do that's going to get me enough attention? So yeah, I mean, who knows? This might this phenomenon is new. Uh, social media really hasn't been a, a thing. Uh, what, what it, we're, we're probably ten years into it, really pervading as as pervasive as it because you go back, you go back to MySpace, and it, that was not like what we have now, not even close. So yeah, it might just be a thing that's with us until it's more, I think more to the larger point, which is we are in the late stage of this civilization and uh, history says it's going to, it's all just going to come crashing down. And there's, um, I just mentioned this in the last podcast I recorded actually, but if you, uh, if you look up on YouTube, Will Durant fall of Rome, it's like 11 minute excerpt from uh, an audiobook of his where he walks through, he, here's what was going on socially, politically, economically, culturally in Rome before it collapsed. I mean, point. you'd think he's just describing our current situation, add some technology into the mix and that's it. Arnold Toynbee is a, is a famous historian who also, um, I think he had like 20 something points of here are indicators of the late stages of a civilization. Uh, and, and we, we check most of those boxes so, well, there's a lot of people that believe, and I, I, I don't know if, I mean, I could get on board with this theory of that we've been here before. This is a cycle that man does, you know, we, and then we kind of completely destroy ourselves, right? We get to a point. Oh, historically, there's no question. I mean, it doesn't, you, you, don't, you don't even have to inform yourself. You just have to read like a couple books and you're like, oh yeah, well that's, that's obvious. Right. And now if you mean, if you mean literally like Atlantean, ah, who knows, maybe <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that there's people that even believe it to that point. And I don't know uh, how much I disagree when I start, when you start to look at what we've seen and when you think of like the long-term 
uh, effects of all this. Like, I, I can't imagine with where we're going with the tech, like how could Elon Musk had a great interview with Joe Rogan and there was something that he said in there that just is, I've not been able to rest at night over it. And it really opened my eyes to what I think AI is going to really look like and be like. And he makes a statement on there uh, with his phone. He goes, you know, everybody is all worried that AI is going to, you know, it could kill man. And like, what happens when it's smarter than us and then it kills us. And like, it's like, no, it's not like that. What it's going to look like. He's like, we already have examples right today. And he goes and he picks up his phone and he's, and he's like, we've already got it right here. And the only difference between today and probably five or 10 years from now is this thing I'm holding in my hand will just be gone. But the capabilities of all that will just now be in either embedded in you or connected to you to where, you know, when you want to search a topic, like I find this very fascinating, right? Like we are at a time now in our generation today that is so different from when I was a kid. If somebody, if my buddies and I, we all were debating a topic, it could be an all day thing. We, we argue and debate. No, I know it was this oh that. And we're going back and forth where today you could grab your phone and you could Google the answer within seconds and you could have the right answer. And so what happens when that just speeds up? Like, what does that look like? And that's what he's explaining. Like what AI is going to look like is a question gets asked or something you're not sure of. And it'll be as quick as you thinking it or saying it really quick to have the answer. And the tech is going to be, it's going to be super expensive, which means that there's now going to be an even larger intelligence gap, so to speak. You know what I mean? So if you have that chip in your brain that allows you to immediately know any piece of information, period, imagine the advantage you're going to have over people who don't. Right. So it is, it's going to cause this major gap that they've been trying to control forever of like trying to equalize everybody. And it's like, no, what's going to happen is the- Which can't happen. It's just it, it's in it's embedded into nature. The majority of intelligence, the majority of capability, uh, and the majority of will and drive and ambition is possessed in the minority of people, and that's just the way that our DNA it's just wired into us. So you can blame nature from that. So it's uh, yeah, the the never ending quest for the true truly egalitarian society, I think is, is it's just never going to happen because it's fundamentally at odds with our biology. I agree with you. The question will be though, what happens when these people have this, this capability and, you know, either one, you'll what have to accept that, oh, I'll just never be that smart because I can't afford to be that way. Or I choose not to be because I don't want to be plugged in. You know, I want to be unplugged. I want to be Think about think about work though. Okay, so you're trying to get a job. How, how are you going right. to outperform somebody who's like <laughs> the dude with the, with the neural link uh, brain chip? Right. No, it's it's. I, so this is not that far away from us right now. That's why I, I find this conversation fascinating, and it keeps me up at night thinking about it. I I don't know where I'm going to stand. I mean, I I think we're like lucky and blessed that we've established ourselves in business, and we're at a point in our lives where. I guess if if the world really went that really bad direction that we'd be able to hole up somewhere and take care of our family or whatever, figure things out. But man, I tell you what, if you're somebody who's growing up, that's my like my son, that's just being born into this whole thing. It's really interesting to think what it's going to be like 10, 15 years from now with AI and the capabilities. And if that's where we're going to go. And I don't see, I mean, I can't disagree with him. Like people, we continue to prove that we want faster and faster. Like I just got a new car the other day and it's pretty cool how the thing syncs up and becomes my Apple iPhone now. And, you know, I'm driving. 
oh, text message from Sal Stefano, And then it just automatically reads it to me. And then I speak into the car and then it texts them back. It's like, dude, we're, we are not far away from just getting rid of the hardware. I mean, that's the only difference right now is that we have to hold, we have the hardware and real soon here, we'll get to a point where it'll just be embedded in you. And then you'll just be able to speak or you'll have these tools that hover around and follow you and you won't need to use your hands anymore. And then they'll, you can see the evolution already of the, uh, the AI too. I remember when it first came out, I was like, Oh, this Siri thing sucks. It never listen, can never understand me. You know, <laughs> but now the thing is so fucking smart. It's predictive. Sal sent me a text message because he was on his way to pick me up to go somewhere. He goes, Hey, shoot me your address. And my fucking iPhone answered him. My iPhone brought up my whole address and all I had to do was hit send. And it was my whole address, zip code, everything. I was like, Whoa, I didn't even, I didn't, it wasn't even predictive. I didn't even start typing. He asked the question. It gave me the answer. Oh, whoa, dude. <laughs> we're real close, dude. <laughs> we're real close. We're, we are close to irrelevance. <laughs> yeah. That's that's really oh, what we're talking oh about. Oh, my God, dude. <laughs> uh, for, I mean, just, just it's worth mentioning, Cal, I like uh, I liked Cal Newport's book, Deep Work. I'm trying to get him on the show right now. Have you had him on the show? No, I've tried. He just uh, is super busy. And I mean, I, I know from reading, he talks about how he runs his life and his schedule and stuff in Deep Work. So I understand that he has his priorities. And, um, you know, my show also is probably... I mean, I don't know. I get a half a million plays on a good month. So you guys are much larger than I am. You know, I understand no, no hard feelings, but I've tried. Yeah, I'm trying. He was just on my buddy Jordan Harbinger's show and I uh, thought it was a great episode. But yeah, no, it, it's crazy, man. It's crazy to think where we're going. I also see another thing I see that I think is crazy is and we get this question a lot because we have a like you probably too have a large trainer following or aspiring to be trainer following. And there's this new model of going straight into online coaching. And I don't know how much I agree with it. I just, I've done both, right? So I've had the privilege of training clients one-on-one in person for many years. And I've started online coaching back when I was competing. I did it on the side. And when I was going through the online thing, I don't know how I would have done it well without all of the years experience and all the different body types, personalities, psychological issues that I had already dealt with to be able to communicate over text. Like I think it's already difficult training clients, like training a client one-on-one and looking at movement patterns and being able to say like, oh, you probably have a really tight piriformis or, oh, this is probably bothering you because I could see the way you move and then teaching them and, and actually putting hands on them and like, and then, and then also getting them to execute and follow through and then learning that, you know, the psychological piece to all of this even matters more than all of this shit that I continue to talk about with programming and exercise and nutrition and shit. So I needed all of that experience to be able to communicate really well to these people that are DMing or texting me or emailing me, they need help with these things. And so we're starting to get these trainers that they're completely skipping the training people in person model and going straight to the online coaching. And I'm really curious to what that's going to look like too. It's, I don't know how good of a trainer I could have been or how well I could have helped somebody without all those years of experience first. So it's, that's interesting to me to see uh, the way that's evolving and changing right now too. And it's turning into the people that are coaching the most clients, the people that are impacting the most people are the people that have the most influence on Instagram and they've got the most followers. And in reality, that rarely ever aligns with the best true coaches, right? Like some of the best coaches and trainers 
Because it takes it just takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of one on one time. I mean, just speaking to that point, you know, I have a coaching service. I don't coach people myself, and I don't pretend to. I have somebody who runs the whole service. I work with him, and we have coaches, and so I know exactly what you're talking about. We've intentionally. I mean, it's a very high touch personal one-on-one service and there are daily check-ins and weekly check-ins and we get great results with people, but it's a lot of work. You, you can't have a hundred clients <laughs> per person. You have to have fewer people and, and provide a really good service. But yeah, it's easier just to, it's easier just to throw people, you know, cookie cutter shit and then have a team of people who don't really care pretending to be you. So I'm assuming that's kind of the model, right? So if you had a million followers, you'd pretend like they're all getting trained by you. Is that the... Well, you see what happened to that Brittany Dawn girl. Did you hear all that shit? Did she made it today? No. Oh, shit. That was a big following. So this influencer, right? I'm in air quotes. Brittany Dawn, who was... She was on the Today Show a couple weeks ago. And she had this massive falling out and because she pissed off a bunch of angry mothers. What did she do? Well, she's she gained a huge following from her Instagram. You know, she posts pictures of her her butt and in her bikini and in her Range Rover and all these cool things to get all this attention, you know, and she's artsy. And so she had a half a million, I think, followers is what she had, something like that, 500, 800. Yeah, I just, I just pulled her up. It's uh, 536 right now. Yeah, so go back. I mean, go back like three. I mean, any post probably even now, but go back three or four posts and you can see just the onslaught of people that are hammering her right now as a scam artist because what happened was she was doing this coaching thing. And like anybody else that I see that are chasing, building a social media following more than really understanding business, no one stops to think like, what if you actually do build this thing to be a monster? Like, can you handle that? You know, can you handle 500 people trying to buy coaching from you in one day? Like you ever thought about that? <laughs> and a lot of these idiots don't even think about that. They're working so hard to get attention and they're hustling so much to add clients that no one stops to think like, oh, what does this look like if I actually scale it to 500 people? Is it scalable to that? And can I manage that? And what would that process look like getting there? And it was like an overnight thing for her. I mean, because of the ability to go viral these days. And if you do a sexy enough pick, it could instantly get 100,000 views. And her shit kind of grew so quick that she was literally just emailing everybody. This, if she was even responding, so she was getting people buying shit and she wasn't even able to respond to all of them. And the ones that she was responding, she was literally sending the exact same thing to everybody. And you do that to a couple thousand people. And sooner or later, two of them are friends, you know, and she got found out and just a massive backlash. And then it already spent all the money. You know, she'd already been spending everybody's money. She couldn't even refund everybody. She offered like 20 bucks back or 40 bucks back on their, on their programs <laughs> to try and save her ass. And I'm like, yeah, dude. but this is what we're seeing this everywhere. I mean, it's, it's actually really popular or really uh, common to see these people that I, that are, they're coaching. And I'm like, okay, I did it. And part of why I don't do it today is it's not that scalable. No, it's not. I mean, I can say the, the only reason why I started it was one of the guys, one, I get asked about it all the time. Well, I guess there are two primary reasons. One was that. And two, there was a guy working with me. He still works with me. Now he works on, over on the Legion side of things and he wanted to do it. And I was telling him, I was like, okay, this is, it has to be a business though. And, and he's a smart dude and he understood that it's going to require, I mean, he saw firsthand, like you see what's going on here with Legion and the systems that you need to have for hiring and the systems that you need to have for quality control and blah, blah, blah. Like we're going to need all that for the coaching. It can't just be something that we, we can't be like that. We can't just 
put a sign up form up online, start taking money and be like, oh, we'll just figure it out as we go. And there's been now it's uh, it's a few hundred people, a few hundred active clients. And that might sound like, oh, yeah, cool to take care of three, whatever hundred people and to deliver a really good service is uh, it takes a lot of time. So the guy who effectively runs that business, he doesn't coach people. He did in the beginning, he coached a lot of people, but uh, now he is is just running the business. And we have other people who, you know, in one case, one guy, one of our best, one of our most popular coaches, he, he has a certain number of clients, then he also spends a lot of his time managing the other coaches as well. And then there's a full-time salesperson and it's just, it's just a, it's a business. I'd imagine too, it, it's probably not the most profitable side of your house of everything that you got running over there is. As far as profits go, it's not bad. It's pretty good if you're looking at it just in terms of net, but in terms of, well, I'm talking, I'm talking about percentage wise, um, in terms of absolute profits. No, it's negligible. I sure I, I can always use more money and there's things I can do with money, but I don't count that income is, is rather insignificant for me personally. Yeah. It's, it's something that's, it's on my radar and we've talked about it before, but the only way that I would do it, cause I've already done it myself. And I know that once I get personally to about 20 to 30 people, it's, it's a lot. And I'm not organized. So I know if I was better organized, I could maybe scale that to 30 to 50 people. But uh, it's just not a scalable single business by itself if you don't have other revenue streams coming in. And there's much bigger fish for us to fry before I address that. I am getting to a point, though, where I do see the opportunity and I do have the connections and relationships with other trainers that I can say, OK, and this is what I'm thinking about doing right now is, OK, I've got like the Dannys, the Mikes and the, these really high level trainers that I personally know and they've been training for a long time. Super smart guys. They totally uh, know the brand and know everything about mind bump, listen to every single episode. And I'm like, okay, these guys are perfect that I could put them in a position and say, okay, here's the deal. You're going to run this coaching program. We're going to be the top of the funnel. So I'll drive everybody to you. You'll make X amount of money for it. We'll make a small piece of that for driving everybody to you. And this is going to be this little thing that you build. So that will be something that we do, but it's not, I'm seeing the opposite right now. And people that are in, in our space are going that direction first. First, they're just trying to get lots of attention on social, on Instagram, and then they're pivoting that into a coaching business with no rhyme or reason or idea of what that looks like if you scale. Like what happens if you're Instagram? Also, why? They're not they're not doing it to with the primary purpose of helping people. They're doing it with the primary purpose of just making money. And the fact that it does help some people here and there makes them feel a little bit better about themselves, which is uh, it is what it is. But how at least how I went about it was the other way around was okay, the I don't have any doing this does is does doesn't actually doesn't make sense for me financially to put time into that when I could put my time into other things that would make a lot more money. But a lot of people want it. So it'd be a great service that I know a lot of my followers would like. And two, if we do it right, we could help a lot of people, but really do a good job with everybody and make sure really do our best to make sure that everybody's happy. Everybody gets the results that they want. And if we can't do that, we just give them their money back. And that rarely happens. It's usually due to life circumstances. People have to things change and you know they either can't start or they have to drop out and but that approach it does not scale as easily as just um not caring <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and and yeah it's it's not as profitable but again that comes back to all the stuff we we're talking about earlier in that profits they they're not they don't 
they're not very fulfilling. Money is just not very fulfilling. It's just not. Once you get past that threshold, I think we all have, I mean, I know the studies that show $80,000 a year or whatever. That doesn't work for everybody under all circumstances. Like you can't tell me that someone living in the middle of Alabama, 20 year old dude making $80,000 a year single, he's going to, I'm sure he'll feel good about his position and in his situation. He's not going to have any pressing financial problems, but you take a, a married couple bootstrapping a startup living in Manhattan and you try to make them live on $80,000 doesn't work. Right. I think it's all relative to where you're at. It is. It is. But I would say for most people, no matter what you're doing, where you are, I mean, it's probably in what, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year is probably the ceiling to where you no longer have any money problems and money, the satisfaction that you get from money, that's where diminishing returns really kicks in. Oh yeah. I think wherever you're at, like, and I, we live in one of the most expensive places in the country to live. And and so for here, once you reach beyond that, about that $200,000 a year mark, the difference between 200, 300, 400, half a million isn't much of a difference anymore. In terms of quality of life, yeah, it's just you either you have more money, you you might maybe you buy more trinkets and knickknacks and or you buy experiences or you're smarter and you invest and you try to set yourself up for a better future. Yeah, no, it's it's a, I think that's a 100% true. I mean, it, that's in my personal experience, that's what it's been like is which is what I told you I had to learn that lesson, you know, like you you could have told told me that I could have listened to your podcast 10 years ago and I still would have let it go. It would have fallen on deaf ears. I would have been like, it doesn't matter. I got to go find this number. And But when you, you reach that, you find out how unfulfilling it is. Well, it's just because you don't. a lot of us don't think about long, long term. Like I want to do something. If you're creating, right? If you're a creator like we are, like I want to create something that I'm proud of and that I enjoy for my entire life. And sometimes when we're chasing a dollar amount, you're just thinking about something right now because you're thinking about the thing, I want a house, I want a car, I want these things. And so you're so driven by that. And then you obtain all those things and then you have to actually look at yourself in the mirror and go like, oh, do I enjoy doing all this stuff that I'm doing every single day? And you're like, fuck, maybe not. Well, all that happens now you have a new uh, wish list. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, now you're, and now you're dissatisfied, completely dissatisfied with the things that you have because you need to have the next thing. You need to have the next car. You got to have the, you have the daily driver. Then now you got to have the Lamborghini. And if you're gonna have the Lamborghini, then you got to have the bling. And if then you're going to have that, then you want to, oh, now it's traveling commercial is, it's so peasant. I want to try, I want to, I want to be able to fly pride. It just, it just never ends. Right. Now I've always, I don't know if you share with the podcast or not. I know you share with us. I know that you, you came from money and yet you're. Let me, I'll qualify that. So my dad started I grew up up until, let's say, it, w- it wasn't apparent to me, honestly, until I was like 16. Okay. So, so in the beginning- foil you growing up or anything? No, no, no. In the beginning, my parents had no money at all. We, I mean, my dad was a hard worker. He made money. But when we talk about, quote unquote, having money, he did not have money in the beginning. He worked his way up. He was a sales guy and he worked his way up eventually to having a sales company and selling it. But that was a, there was a journey there. So I was raised- well, and there, we always had food and it wasn't, I was not in poverty at all, but there was not money in the sense of like, Ooh, they have money that I'd say phase began when I was probably yeah 15 or 16. It's when my parents built a house. So we, we were living in Florida and we lived in a normal, uh, we actually were just renting. It was a, a bigger ish house, but a normal neighborhood, nothing special, just a nice place to live, track normal home, neighborhood, normal track home, two, 3000 square feet. 
I'm trying to remember. Yeah, it wasn't. Well, it wouldn't have been much bigger than three thousand square feet. It was a little bit bigger than the average house, but it was you know rented. And my dad was also funny. I guess along the way he had started to make a bit more money, but he was like he still drove the same. It was it was like a you know an old blue Nissan car. He just didn't care. He didn't care to. Uh, my mom was one who forced him finally to just get something that it looks a little bit nicer because he just didn't care. He'd be like, why? Why do I need a nicer car? It doesn't. A car you, I drive to work, I drive home. <laughs> My Nissan works great, right? So we went from that, which I don't know if they would have bought the house, would have been probably a couple hundred thousand, few hundred thousand dollars, maybe, I don't know. And then they built, I mean, at the time, so they, this was back when I was 16, it was probably with the land, three or four million dollar home. And so that's when I was like, oh, um, I guess my dad has a bit more money than I realized. <laughs> Because because he just wasn't a, he's not an extravagant guy he's still not an extravagant guy beyond I guess maybe the house looks a bit extravagant and for for him maybe that was fulfilling to be able to do because he grew up in a family with I think shit he was one of ten or nine and his dad was a hard worker and always provided but you know they had to watch their money so yeah that's when it became apparent but I wasn't spoiled or I wasn't raged like a, like a little shitty rich kid my brother however was because he's six and a half years younger than I am. And he's a good dude. He works with me now and he's on the right path. But there's a marked difference between the two of us. So anyways, you're going to make a point, but I just no, want to explain. I was just curious actually to you uh, because of your success. And if you were somebody who didn't come from being like the rich kid and you didn't come from being the poor kid trying to make a ton of money, like where does the drive and desire to be successful and to grow a business and to scale and to keep making more and doing well, like where does that stem from then? Or, or when it started, like what the fuck? I mean, what may, what motivates a guy like you who technically could fall back on mommy and daddy if he had to back, you know, when you're 20 years old, like what separates you from you and your brother? I mean, there, there's a good example. You said you guys have market differences here. Well, what, what are they? And what was it that made you so driven? Hmm. Let's see. I'm looking back. I would say there was a financial element of it, but it wasn't so much about like, oh, I want to have things for the sake of having things. It was being married, having a kid on the way and wanting to be able to provide a good life for, for my family. Not that you needed a, a huge amount of money to do that, but you need to do well, for, I, I think. And so there was that. There was also it was exciting uh, to just build something. I mean, you know, you're living it just as I am. It's cool to, I thought it was just exciting to envision something and build it and make it real. And the fact that money came with it as well is nice, but it was more just kind of fun to do the work and see it all materialize. And that was fulfilling. And it was, um, I'd say for me, work in general is, it's a flow producing activity for me, it, it gets me into that flow state where you, your attention is fully absorbed and you're fully focused on what you're doing and you forget about your worries and you forget about time and yourself and you are really just in the moment. And that's an enjoyable feeling. And so I've always been drawn to work simply for that reason alone. So in some ways, I could probably enjoy just about any type of work so long as I could I mean, there are some, I'd say some conditions that would need to be met for it to even be able to produce that state. But so long as I could do that, I could do a lot of different work that may uh, not appeal to me inherently. I may not feel drawn to it, but once I get into it, I can enjoy it. So I was probably drawn to work just for the sake of like, it's more enjoyable than 
what, what the fuck else am I going to do? <laughs> you know what I mean? Am I, okay. So let's say I'm just going to be a rich kid. I, I know these people, right? I have friends or, you know, maybe I've lost kind of touch with some, with most of them by now, but not because there was a falling out per se. So if I was just going to be a rich kid, what do I do then? What do I do? I, I travel. I wouldn't get married because that's stupid, right? If you're going to be a rich kid, you're just a degenerate. I would just travel and I would just have sex and do drugs and buy things. And, and you're wise just, enough to know that's fleeting. Yeah. Oh, I, that, I, I would rather die uh, and just see what happens in the like. What happens next? Do we come back? Do we? Am I going to hell? I'm like, I don't know. That seems more interesting to me than <laughs> going. In, I'm not joking. Than going and being a degenerate. Oh wow, that's uh, interesting. Because I, I know exactly where that goes. I've seen it firsthand. That. I get. You know what? It, it leads to internal hell, right? You know, so and you die anyway in the end if you if you take it there. So let's just <laughs> let's just skip the foreplay. Let's get straight to the execution and let's just see what happens. Now, what is what is the point though of you know? And this is where I I, I try and have balance with this. I think that I still spoil myself, or I still do things. That, I shouldn't say spoil. I still enjoy getting certain things or spending money on certain things. Do you have things that? you justify that, Hey, I work really hard. I do these things and I'm into X, Y, and Z. Like I'm a sneakerhead. I'm a watch guy. I'm a car guy. These things I'm into, I don't have, find the need to flaunt them to others and, and show them what I've done. But personally, like, I mean, getting into the Rover or getting into the Camaro is like one of my favorite things to do on a Saturday. And I, you know, I don't share it on Instagram. Nobody knows I go do it, but I'll go take a ride with all the windows down and music playing. And I, I love it. I enjoy that. Like, do you have things that cost money that were expensive to buy or that you you buy for yourself that you indulge that you uh, are okay with or do you, do you live this like I don't I don't care about these things at all and so I'm not going to spend any money on any of this shit at this point uh, I'm fairly I guess monastic would be the word um I I like collecting things I don't spend very much money uh currently because I doing other things with my money, but I do like collecting things. So I've bought things that I just think are cool. Uh, like I bought a flintlock pistol from like the late 1700s made by some master Italian pistol maker, just because I want to just think it's cool. And two, I like that period of history and, you know, it's just something that's appealing to me. Um, let's see, I bought a typewriter that was owned by a guy named Mickey Spillane, who was a, a writer back, I think turn of the century ish, maybe a little bit later than that. And he had sold like a hundred million novels in his lifetime. And I thought that's kind of cool. Just kind of symbolic. Cause I guess I consider myself first and foremost, a writer. Oh, I bought a, a standard oil stock certificate signed by John Rock. Rockefeller. Um, Just because I read Titan and I was like, this guy was, there were serious things wrong with this guy, but in some ways he was, he was admirable. He was just one of these larger than life figures of history who stand out and you, you can't help but admire a lot of what he did despite how ruthless and merciless he was. And let's see, what else do I have? Uh, some first edition books, like a first edition of Atlas Shrugged. I want to get a signed one, but I've seen a few go up. I just didn't want to spend. It was, there was, I think they ended up selling for multiple thousands of dollars. It's like, eh. So I have an unsigned. So it's stuff like that. I'll spend, it's not, a, it's not a, that much money when you, some of the items were expensive individually, but when you look at it over time, it's not much. I, I drive a nice car, I do like driving a nice car. I don't know how much I really care about it though. Like I've thought many times this is kind of a waste of money. Like I, I don't need a, 
an S class Mercedes. Uh, it's nice to drive around, but I could probably get like an E class for half the price and not care or any, or anything else. Right. So I guess cars, not really my thing. I mean, I thought maybe I could get into watches. So I, I've, I have a few watches, um, that are not crazy, but fairly expensive. And after getting a few, I just wasn't interested. I just wasn't even really interested in wearing them. So I was like, well, I guess, uh, <laughs> I guess that's not, I guess that's not for me. Um, and so my wife is very much, she's very into fashion. And to her credit, I'd say, I mean, I can't say that there's got to be a part of her that, I don't know if, is it a, if it's just a, a female thing, because most women are into fashion to some degree, especially if they have some money to spend on, you know, getting nice things. My mom was a perfect example of that. So previously, before my dad started making more money, she would wear just normal clothes, whatever, right? She would maybe go to Target and get like 22 pairs of uh, shoes or, well, actually, no, I'm, I'm skipping. So she just wear normal clothes, right? Then my dad starts making money and then she just starts buying more of that stuff. So it'd be like, go to Target and get 22 pairs of shoes in, instead of getting maybe three or four pairs of very expensive shoes. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but you get the point. And then my wife at the time, I mean, I've been with her since I was 17. So we start dating. She's, she's into high-end fashion, right? And so as we're dating and my dad does better and better, he ends up selling his company, a company that he had made, made a lot of money with that. So then my mom going into it initially was like, I'll never get into high-end fashion. And I understand Sarah's into it. That's just not me. And then once she got a taste of it though, <laughs> Sarah got her, Sarah got her hooked on, on uh, this. This stuff is nicer. Like this Chanel bag is actually nicer than the Michael Kors bag. And you like the Michael, the part of you that likes this Michael Kors bag is going to really like this Chanel bag. And so then my mom, yeah, then, then Sarah fully corrupted my mom. I, I don't know. I think my mom had a phase where she was buying a lot of stuff. I don't think she, I think she has, is kind of over that now, but my wife is still into it and we have a simple agreement. She has a budget that she can spend every month. I don't care what she buys with that money. She could spend it all on one thing. On or on one ridiculous thing, or she could buy, you know, uh, several ridiculous things. I don't care at all, so long as she sticks to the budget. And so, but she's into it and she's been into it for as long as I've known her, but she's not, and I'm biased because it's my wife and I love her, but she really, I, I do not think it's because she wants to try to make other women jealous or wants to necessarily show off that she can afford some more expensive things. She genuinely likes it. Like she would, I mean, she's been just raising our kids now for years, but once Romy, our daughter, is going to be in school, Sarah will probably, she may come work with us in the office, but she'll probably, if she weren't to do that, she would want to work in the fashion industry. She just loves it. And I wish I had something like that. Like I tell her, I'm like, I think it's cool that, that you're into it. I'm not into it. I don't understand it. I don't like the space. It's similar to fitness and that it's very narcissistic and just weird. But I understand there's a, there's an aesthetic there. There, there is an art to a lot of this stuff. And I, I don't have anything like that. I was into golf a bit when I was in uh, Florida and I could see enjoying that. It can be very expensive. I didn't make it very expensive. So, you know, I understand being into like, oh, I'm into shoes or I'm into cars because I see it with my wife. I just don't currently have anything that really is that interesting to me other than buying some collectible things here and there that, uh, you know, I like board games. There you go. Uh, but not that they're expensive. I just like, I, I grew up, uh, I never got really into video games, but I like games in general and I like the social element of board games. So I own 
quite a few board games. Hey, did you ever get a chance to play Railroad when I I sent it to you for Christmas? You remember last year, the year before last year, actually, it was two years ago when we first met. Yeah, yeah, the the Ticket to Ride expansion. So I have Ticket to Ride. I've played it. Uh, We I didn't play the one that you sent me simply because it's hard to get like the people together and then get them all to agree on a game. But I've played Ticket to Ride, and I thought it was a it was a thoughtful (laughs) gift. It was. that's what but I tell you what, that's one of the things that I think we talked about the first time that we met that I was actually just having this conversation again with Katrina that I, I need help. Like I've never been in a position right now where I have built so many relationships with so many people that I actually like and that I think are are very valuable relationships uh, for many reasons. And I take a lot of pride on on making sure that I, I do thoughtful things and letting, I mean, I, I, I come from a place of that quote, uh, you know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And uh, I really believe in that. And I, I try and lead with that with people always, but man, has it, it's been a challenge because it's one thing to be helping and, and help build and scale the thing we're currently doing, but then also to manage all those relationships and, and, and make sure that I'm making those connections and showing people that I do value and care about their relationship it's definitely been something that, and I remember I talked on your podcast the very first time that we we did a podcast about this. For the first time in my life, I've I feel over. I, I pride myself on being really good at that, and for the first time, I feel overwhelmed. Of oh my god, like who do I prioritize? Like, <laughs> no, I understand. I, I mean, I, I'm, I've run into that myself. The good news, I think, is at least I've I've experienced this. The most of the people who maybe would be on that list, um, understand because they live the same life. (laughs) You know what I mean? And whenever there is some sort of, Hey, how's it going? They understand. And it's, it's appreciated. So when I, I I hear, I have friends, you know, exactly the same thing out in California, people I've known in a couple of cases since I was 16, 17, and they're busy and we talk now and then, and that's totally cool. And, you know, it's understandable that I don't, I'm not upset that I didn't, you know, get, happy birthday wish because uh, it's I, I get it. Well, I get it too. It's, it's challenging though. It's, and it's important. It's important to me. I always feel like it's, it's, I've had a lot of success by leading that way. Much of the things that have, have come my way in business have been because of networking with so many people. I definitely also come from the camp of like Henry Ford of surrounding myself with other men and women that are far more talented and smarter than I am. And because of that, I've been able to have a lot of success. And so you know, <clears throat> we're now in a place where I find that more challenging than I've ever felt in my life. But the one thing that I think you're right is the relationships that probably matter the most, the ones that I care about the most and the ones that I like are also the ones that are most forgiving about the loss of contact for a little while. You know, I already, we've already forged a relationship. We like each other. We both respect that we're both building something big and it takes a lot of energy and effort. So because I didn't hear, like you said, I haven't heard from you for my birthday or whatever, that I'm not sweating somebody, you know? Yeah, Exactly. All right, man. Well, um, I think uh, I have to pee really bad. So, so. I. yeah. I <laughs> so I think this is a great place to uh, to wrap it up. Do you want to finish with just is there anything new and exciting, anything cool you want to let let everybody know about? I mean, obviously everybody can find you and all your and Sal and Justin and Doug over at Mind Pump Media. And- yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure most of you. I'm sure we have a lot of crossover between our two yeah, audience. It's probably, yeah, it's true. It's probably point. know where to go find. You know what to do. Yeah, you know. What to do. Just go give him, give him your fucking money so he can buy more. <laughs> watches. That's stupid, dude. But I, we are doing something this year. We're probably going to get out more this year than we did the previous year. We're trying to do some. So maybe I can bug your audience to bug you more to do this. Is 
I like to do like a, you know, mind pump tour and friends where like we go to different states and cities. And like, for example, if we were in your neck of the woods, uh, uh yeah, I'm in, dude. I'm yeah, in. Yeah. So, uh, we'll plan something like that. You just got to give me, give me a heads up though. So I can announce, like, I want to let people know this is, you know, well in advance because, um, I'm sure quite a few people would, would come. That'd be fun. No, I will. In fact, I, you'll you'll be hearing from Taylor soon because Taylor's the one who's organizing it with Rachel. But I'll I'll try and get something lined up to where we can come in your backyard, so it'll be more convenient. And then you know have you drop in and and surprise and say hi to everybody. Yeah, that'd be fun. Cool. Always a good time with you, bro. Yeah, same. Thanks for taking the time. Hey there, it is Mike again. I hope you enjoyed this episode and found it interesting and helpful. And if you did and don't mind doing me a favor and want to help me make this the most popular health and fitness podcast on the internet, then please leave a quick review of it on iTunes or wherever you're listening from. This not only convinces people that they should check the show out, it also increases its search visibility and thus helps more people find their way to me and learn how to build their best bodies ever too. And of course, if you want to be notified when the next episode goes live, then just subscribe to the podcast and you won't miss out on any of the new goodies. Lastly, if you didn't like something about the show, then definitely shoot me an email at mike at muscleforlife.com and share your thoughts on how you think it could be better. I read everything myself and I'm always looking for constructive feedback, so please do reach out. All right, that's it. Thanks again for listening to this episode and I hope to hear from you soon. And lastly, this episode is brought to you by me. (laughs) Seriously though, I'm not big on promoting stuff that I don't personally use and believe in. So instead, I'm going to just quickly tell you about something of mine. Specifically, my 100% natural Legion protein bar. Now, unlike many protein bars, mine are not chalky, crumbly, hard to get down lumps made with low quality and undesirable forms of protein like milk protein, calcium caseinate, and soy protein, and chalk full of artificial sweeteners, flavors, dyes, and other chemical junk. Instead, my protein bars contain 20 grams of high quality protein from a blend of whey isolate, whey hydrolysate, whey concentrate, and pea protein isolate are naturally sweetened and flavored and do not sit on shelves for months on end. And so every bite is savory, moist, and pleasantly chewable. My goal was to create an all-natural protein bar that tastes like high-protein candy, and many of my customers say that I have done just that. So if you want a clean, all-natural, low-calorie, and low-sugar protein bar that has 20 grams of five-star protein that tastes as good as it looks and that is easy on your stomach, then you want to head over to www.legionathletics.com and try my protein bars today. And just to show how much I appreciate all of my podcast peoples, use the coupon code podcast at checkout and you will save 10% on your entire order. I also have a very simple 100% money-back guarantee that works like this. You either love my stuff or you get your money back, period. 
No having to return the products, fill out forms, or jump through any other hoops, so you really can't lose here. Head over to www.legionathletics.com now, place your order, and see for yourself why my supplements have thousands of rave reviews all over the internet.